From the brains behind Teal the Show, this is Teal the Podcast, your source for Jaguars news and analysis with NFL insider Mark Brunel and your host, Cole Pepper. Hello and welcome into Teal the Podcast. Coming up, we'll hear part of Mark Brunel's conversation with Josh Lambeau, the Jaguars kicker. Mark went one-on-one with the most reliable offensive player, if you can call a kicker offensive player, because he's putting points on the board. Guys only missed one field goal all year. That's coming up in just a bit. The Jaguars preparing for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and there's been some thought about what the Jaguars are missing out on right now. Uh, what the missing element, how could a team be so good last year and struggle so much this year? Of course, the injuries are a big part of it, but there are more contributing factors. And uh, coming up, we'll hear one of the things that Marquise Lee says the Jaguars are missing out on this year, and he's not talking about himself, who's been injured since uh, the preseason. Well, let's start off with uh, Mark Brunel, a little bit of a conversation about where the Jaguars go from here after the loss, their fifth straight to the Colts. This is not where the Jaguars wanted to be, but you have been here before, three and six, made it to the playoffs. That was 1996. Yep. Is there any chance lightning can strike twice? Well, we hope so. And until the Jaguars are mathematically eliminated, you know, we're going to still hope and and believe, but it doesn't look good right now, Cole. That being said, are you concerned about the culture in the locker room right now that the veterans who are in there aren't doing enough or able to do enough or that maybe there aren't enough leaders in there right now to get this thing back on the right track? It's a great question. Um, Culture is tough to sustain. It's tough to uh, have a, uh, a positive culture, a culture in which the team can thrive and do well and work well together. But what hurts culture is losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, losing leads to blame. It leads to frustration and finger pointing. Teams get really tested. Uh, their character gets tested. Their resolve gets tested when they're losing football games. I'm concerned about the culture. Uh, right now with the Jaguars. It'll be very interesting to see how they finish out their remaining seven games. Really remarkable when you think about what happened last year and the way that they dealt with winning, losing, winning, losing. And then second half of the season, they sort of put some wins together. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there were a lot of us last year who were following this team who were saying, all right, are they going to be able to handle this uh, win-loss, win-loss, not having consistency? Well, this is a whole different kind of obstacle. Five losses in a row really probably facing a, an elimination game every single game they play here for the rest of the, of, of the season. Uh, I don't know, Mark. It, it's a huge turnaround from one year to the next. Uh, and I, we've talked about how Doug Marone believes that every year is different. But there's something wrong right now with this team, and it's not just that they're not making plays on the field. It, it was interesting in the game against the Colts. Uh, everything was going wrong in the first half. Uh, with the defense, they give up 29 points, over 300 yards of offense, miscommunication, broken coverages, breakdowns, and Andrew, Luke, Andrew Luck seemed to find him every time. Okay, well, they fixed that at halftime. They came out and they were executing, held, I think, the Indianapolis Colts to 60 yards on offense. Okay, so they have the ability to play well. They can do it. Uh, why didn't they do that in the first half? So the potential is there. The execution can be there. So what's the disconnect? What's the problem? Why can't we put three phases of a football team together, offense, defense, and special teams? Um, It's very concerning. It's absolutely concerning. You mentioned the 1996 team. Here's the difference. 
expectations were so so low for that 1996 team. No one expected anything. But this year, people were expecting a Super Bowl championship, and rightly so. We all bought into it. Um, the talent is there. It's roughly the same team. Some injuries, of course. But the whatever you want to call it, the chemistry, there's, there's something quite off with this football team, and losing isn't helping. All right. A couple of things you see a lot on social media with the way that fans analyze this thing. I want to get your true or false on okay. this. They, one comment, they read their press clippings too much. True or false? True. I think they came in. They came into the season hot. They came in real confident. Uh, we're gonna. We we could be one of the best defenses ever. We could be a history-making defense. Uh, some, I've e I even heard a player. Hey, we could go 16 and 0. That's not everybody, but you don't have to hear it from everybody. And we all bought in. We all believed it. Hey, yeah, maybe they. Maybe we can get to that place. Um, and Doug Marone said it starting in January and February early on. Every team is different, and every team really is dif different. Even though you have the same roster, uh, every team has a different makeup. So, yeah, they, I, I think they, uh, uh, the press clippings were out there, the statements, and we all bought in. And it's just better to, I, I don't want to hear about how good you are. I want to see how good you are. All right, another one you hear uh, a lot and see a lot in terms of theories of, of what's gone on is they put too much into the Patriots game. That was too much of a buildup, and they haven't really ever recovered from winning that game. I'm going to say false. Uh, it was an emotional game, uh, but in, in emotional games that you win, you should use that as momentum. It should be a springboard for at least the next game, at least the, you know, for the next few games. This is what we can do. We just beat one of the best teams, maybe the best team you know, in, in, in the last decade. You can make that argument, of course. Um, that... That was amazing. After that game, I was all in, too. I bought in. Uh, you know, Blake Bortles, we did that without Leonard Fournette, right? Our defense went against the best quarterback to ever play the game. I thought, this is it. This is the team that can do it. Um, but you use those victories to launch yourself into the, into the rest of the season. We did not do that. True or false? Kansas City taking the wind out of them really deflated the balloon. True. Yeah, true. And I really am a one game at a, at a time. Uh, if you win, great. You give yourself 24 hours to celebrate. If you get your butt kicked, you give, your 20, give yourself 24 hours to pout and fix it and correct it, and then you move on. But I think what it did was it exposed our defense. Kansas City exposed our defense. And they, they threw some ideas out there to other teams, you know, the, the Dallas Cowboys and the, and the uh, 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 Indianapolis Colts and the Philadelphia Eagles. Hey, look, look what you can do. This is how you beat this great defense and, uh, and listen, we, we, we still have the ability to be very good. We've got some football left. But the Kansas City team surprised everyone, and I think it exposed our football team on the defense side of the ball. All right, true or false, last one. Okay. This Jaguars team misses Mercedes Lewis and Paul Pazlesny in the locker room more than they realized they were. Absolutely true. Uh, there's something to be said for leadership, guys that have been around, guys that have had success even in, their latter, in the latter part of their career. Uh, Puz, Mercedes... Good football players, good leadership. We didn't replace that, to my knowledge. I'm not in the locker room. I don't know. I don't know who's saying what and who's, who's keeping quiet. I don't know. Uh, there are some leaders, and, and we've talked about them, the Telvin Smiths, the Clay S. Campbells. I think those guys are good leaders, but you need more than two or, or three. Um, hard to say if you're not in, in the locker room. I'll say that. But I can say when you lose a pause and you lose a Mercedes, Mercedes, uh, you lose a lot, and that's what's happened. All right, let's look forward now. Do we have to? 
We have to. Okay. The Pittsburgh Steelers are coming to town. The Pittsburgh Steelers aren't all that happy about what happened yeah. last year twice with the Jaguars beating them in Pittsburgh. This is a revenge game for the Steelers. Doesn't feel like this is a good time for this game to be coming up on the schedule. It's not a good time. Think about how we felt about the New England Patriots and the emotion that we brought to that game, the way we executed, the, the level of play, what you saw on that Sunday. Um, those are the same type of feelings, emotions that the Pittsburgh Steelers will have coming in, into this game. All right, that being said, if the Jaguars somehow beat the Steelers, can this be a springboard kind of game for the Jags? It can be. Uh, it should be. Uh, will it be too little, too late? It, it's hard to say. The other teams in our division, the AFC South, are playing some good football right now. Uh, we are not. So um, the last couple weeks have been must-wins. This is do or die. And this is a must-win. Any chance of anything happening for this football team in 2018, it uh, rises and falls on this game against the Steelers. Also this week, Mark Brunell sat down with the Jaguars kicker Josh Lambeau. Lambeau, the former goalkeeper, who uh, has found new life in his second stop in the National Football League. Uh, let go by San Diego, and boy, has he been a fine for the Jaguars. Remember how much the Jaguars were struggling in the early part of the season last year with uh, not only field goals, but extra points. Jason Myers just was struggling. They made the move and found Lambeau, and he has been terrific ever since. Here's Mark Brunel's one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jaguars kicker Josh Lambeau. So you and I did not start off real well. Okay. Okay. You don't remember this. All right. I'm going to tell this story. It's funny. Oh, gosh. I've told tons of people this story. <laughs> so you signed last year week six? We, uh, week going seven? In, going into week seven. In yeah. October. Yeah. So um, I think this is a home game in November. Okay. And uh, I was on the sidelines, and the specialists had come out. You had come out, and you were just kind of by the benches, and, and uh, I introduced myself. And I said, hey, Josh, hey, welcome, glad you're here. How's it going? Just small talk stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just int introducing uh, myself. And uh, I didn't want to get in, your, in the way of the game or anything like that. Or, and uh, so you, you were very friendly. Hey, nice to meet you, too. And you said, uh, hey, do you, uh, you work for the Jaguars? Oh, God. And, and you, I just stopped. I mean, just stopped in my track. And in my mind, I'm thinking, wait, what? Wait. <laughs> Uh, and I said something like, well, I used to play here or something like that. And I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, what do you mean do I work for the Jaguars? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I'm like, you know, like pride of the Jaguar. You know, I used to play quarterback here. I'm a pretty big deal around here. That, that name right up there. Yeah, that name right there. <laughs> and it was awesome. So I've told this story. Oh, and everyone I, tell, everyone I tell this story to, they say, it's probably pretty good for you. And I said, yeah, it's probably good Probably good for me to, to hear that. But I thought it was so funny. Oh, gosh. So, if, yeah, if you were a former soccer player, I probably would have known who you were. Yes, yes, but, but just some old, uh, some old quarterback. Uh, I thought it was hilarious, but a little taste of humble pie there. Um, so this really is your story. But before I go there, I do want to ask you a football question. Okay. So to go from Super Bowl contenders to mm -hmm. uh, long shot to make the playoffs, in your words, what, what has happened? I mean, you don't have to take a deep dive or just, yeah. just some thoughts. I know there's reasons for it, injuries and things like that, tough schedule, but what do you think? Um, I think it's a couple of things. I think some of it's just bad luck with injuries for sure. Yeah. That just takes a huge toll on guys. Um, I think we're still a pretty young team mm -hmm. um, and success is hard to handle. Um, it is. It's difficult. Not everyone can do it. I'm not, I'm not saying that we can't. I'm saying that um, I think we could 
be a little bit better with handling success. Um, but sometimes things just don't go your way. You know, yeah. sometimes you can do all the right things and miss a kick. You can do all the right things and you can drop a pass or fumble or miss an interception. So sometimes that stuff just happens. Sports are fickle. You know that. Sure. Um, and you know the sports gods just uh, haven't been on our side the past five games. Doug Marone, like after last season, repeatedly has said, "Hey, every team's different. Yeah. Just because you did it the year before doesn't mean you're going to do it the next year. Absolutely. E- even with the same roster, mm-hmm. you know, we experienced that in '99. We went to the AFC Championship. Right. Next year, pretty much the same team, and just wasn't the same. Yeah. You know, a few injuries, but uh, you don't get the breaks mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. That's just." It's just sports. Yeah, Part it's, of the deal. yeah, it's different. It was. It's been a different off season for everyone than everyone's yeah. been used to. You know, we, uh, you get a month extra of work. Um, you know, that can kind of mess with some guys' downtime, mess with their off season routine, which is still a routine. And it's, I think off season routine is important for in season stuff. Do you think that uh, uh, Puz retiring, not having Mercedes, some older guys not being in the building, has that affected the team very much? Just losing that leadership, perhaps? Yeah. Well, it's hard for me to say that because I don't want to neglect the leadership we do have right. in yeah, the locker room. You've got some good leaders. Um, you know, Telvin and Calais keep our, keep our guys right. Um, you know, Linder and uh, but you can never, regardless of how good of leaders we do have, you can never replace guys like Puzz. Right. Um, he's one of a kind. I'm still trying to like pick his brain and get advice from him for sure. off the field things. And um, you know, I personally had a really good relationship with Sadie's. Uh, I was definitely sad to see him go. Um, but yeah, he, those, both those guys just kind of gave this quiet confidence with their presence, and you know they didn't necessarily need to say a lot because they spoke with their play and their actions, and uh, it's hard to find guys like that. Yeah. So let's let's go back. You grew up in Wisconsin. Uh, really grew up in Northwest Chicago. Okay. And moved okay. to Wisconsin. Uh, what would have been my freshman year of high school. Okay. And you didn't stay there long, right? Correct. Yeah. So you're 14 years old. Yep. You're one of the. You're nationally recognized as one of the up-and-coming goalkeepers, mm-hmm. and you go to Florida. Yeah. Is IMG? Yep. Did you go to IMG? Yeah. Where all the, the, the great high school players at multiple <laughs> yeah. sports go. Was that hard leaving? You know, did, did your family go with you, or, or, or did you, you know, from Wisconsin down to Florida, yeah, were, you on your, were you on your own? Uh, yeah, so it wasn't difficult for me because that was my dream. So oh, okay. I think sometime back in middle school, one of my teachers actually had us write out a goals list. And so I was, you know, 11, 12, 13. And I wrote down, uh, one of my goals is uh, make the residency program, make the U-17 national team, get invited to go down to Bradenton. And here I am a month before I turned 15, and I get a phone call. I'm at some high school pep rally, and I get a phone call from the national team goalkeeper coach inviting me down. Wow. And I actually told him, I said, hey, coach, like, this is all I've ever wanted, but my high school team, like, we just made the playoffs. Can I maybe come down in like a month? And he's, <laughs> he said, you know what, Josh, I appreciate your loyalty to your, to your high school, to your teammates, but... This is what it boils down to. You can either play for your high school or you can play for your country. Wow. And I said, all right, see you next week. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So a few years later, you get picked number eight overall. Yep. In, in the uh, MLS. MLS Super Draft, yeah. Wow. Another dream come true? Yeah. It was, uh, I was one pick away from going back home to Chicago. Uh, really? there, there was some things that, were, that happened that made me not go. But um, I was all set to go to play for the Chicago Fire and get picked seven. There's a top five pick that was still available, and the Fire had the 11th pick also. Yeah. So they're like, oh, just, we'll get Josh on a couple more picks. And then I had no idea Dallas even wanted me, and then they take me eight overall. And I'm like, all right, here we go. That's really cool. Yeah. That's pretty special. Yeah. So, you're, um, so most NFL kickers have a soccer background. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you're probably the only one that uh, was a professional soccer player. Yeah, I think to my knowledge, I'm the only guy to play in the MLS and the NFL. And as a goalkeeper. Right. Wow. Yeah. So after you retire, mm -hmm. you decide, you know what, I'm going to go try place kicking. Uh, why Texas A&M? Well, the, the start of it was just go to college and get a four-year education. So okay. I got drafted out of high school, out of residency. Um, but my last two years playing for FC Dallas, I did get an associate's degree from an online school. Okay. So I had some form of education. I had some credits that I wanted to transfer over. Like, so I'm sitting here. All right, I'm 21. I need to get like a real big boy job. I think sports are out of the question at this point. And so I tell my mom, hey, I think I need to go to a four-year university and get an education so I can get a proper job. And you know, as you alluded to earlier, I moved out of my house at 14, which yeah. I was stoked about. My mom was not no, pleased. Sure. I would, that would be hard for a mom. Yeah, they, uh, my parents never went more than about a month and a half without making sure they saw me. So they either come, came down to Bradenton or we had a break and I got to go home or they traveled with us, or the team to a tournament. Um, and so I'm 21, been away from home for a better part of seven years. My mom said, well, look, if you're going to go back to university, why don't you learn how to kick field goals and come home, kick for the Badgers and live with your mother again? And so I said, okay. Wow. Because my brother played soccer for University of Wisconsin. My mom was still living there. Okay. And um, a buddy of my brother's, Taylor Melhoff, was All-American out of Wisconsin, got drafted by the Saints as a place kicker. And uh, he played for about a year. And uh, he kind of transitioned me from soccer to football. I called him, said, hey, I'm Zach's your brother. This is where I've been. This is where I'm going. Can you help me? And he said, yeah, man, come on down. So that was, that was March of 2012. Uh, I'm sorry, May of 2012 when I started working with him. And in September, I was on at AM. Wow. Had you kicked a football up to that point uh, ever? Did you kick, you know, as a kid growing up? The only football experience I ever had was, I was the uh, 2001 10 and 11-year-old national champion for punt, pass, and kick. You're kidding. Yeah. So you go to Texas A&M. Yep. Uh, you end up being the most accurate kicker in school history. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw that you broke a record 10 PATs in one game. That doesn't surprise me, yeah. <laughs> you didn't know that? Uh, no, I never I, knew. You know, I saw that. Of course, the internet never lies. I saw that. I'm like, who did you guys play to get? I, mean, I don't know who we played, but we had Johnny Football. So that doesn't uh, surprise me. We had that scored, many. Scored a lot of points. I, I think I, I was a part of maybe f maybe four games where we scored 70 points. Yeah. It's outrageous. You're uh, undrafted. Mm -hmm. uh, you go to San Diego. Yeah. You beat out Nick Novak. Yeah. I saw it. I was with uh, Nick in uh, Washington okay. in 2005. Yep. So this is 2015. So he's an old vet. He's been around for a yeah, while. He's bounced around a lot. He actually won a game for us that I'll never forget. He actually was a pretty good guy. Mm -hmm. Nick's a good guy. So you're there for two years. Yeah. Um, you come to Jacksonville. Uh, we mentioned last October. Mm -hmm. And since then, 33 of 35. I think so, yeah. You're 19 of 20 last year. Yeah. Incredible year. Thank you. 14 of 15. Uh, you really are. You are the bright spot of this season. It's really cool. Well, thank um, you. Dream come true. Did you ever think in a million years you would end up, you know, being one of the best kickers in the NFL in Jacksonville, Florida, considering kind of your path and, and uh, being a former professional soccer player? Yeah, th this is all, all still pretty wild yeah. uh, and a surprise to me. I never thought I'd play football. I thought it was boring. I thought being a kicker would, <laughs> wouldn't be very exciting. And uh, I, was, I was definitely wrong about that. I don't know if it's if it is exciting or if I try to make it exciting with the celebrations and everything. But sure. um, yeah, this is all still really wild to me. Sometimes it just stops me in my tracks, and I look at my wife and I'm just like, "What am I doing? Like, right. this is absolutely insane. This is what I get to do for a living. I get paid way too much money to play a sport 
that to stay healthy, to make good relationships and connections, go all over the country, um, get to people to know like my family's last name. It's it's it truly is remarkable, and the fact that I've been able to rise to the level I've been able to perform at since I've been here in Jacksonville has been uh, it's been a lot of fun. That's great. That's great. So you mentioned your celebration. Yeah. Where did that come from? Like it's it's there's kickers all over Northeast Florida right now at the high school. Yeah. My kicker at Episcopal included uh -huh. that are doing this all <laughs> over the place. I mean, you you started something pretty cool. That's Where awesome. did that come from? Man, I I so that happened after I hit a 56 yarder at home against the Bengals. It was my second game with the team, my first home game here. Um, that was my career long, you know, and they, they cut you know my predecessor for you know really not making a lot of longer field goals. I didn't make any 50-yard field goals my second year, mm -hmm. which I think contributed to me getting released by the Chargers. Um, and so hitting my career-long second game with the team, that was just, it was a lot of vindication, a lot of, um, hey, you do belong in this league. You getting cut was a fluke. You belong here. And so I just kind of blacked out, and that's just what happened. Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit of an old-school old soccer celebration. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is what I always try to, you know, mimic my celebrations off of, or, or soccer celebrations, because I think they're the best, they're the most fun. Um, was the 57-yarder in Wembley pretty special for you? Yeah, yeah, that was, that was big. That was huge. That was, I think, I had about four different celebrations after that kick. <laughs> but yeah, being able to do something like that, setting the Jags record for most consecutive mm -hmm. kicks, my um, personal career-long, uh, I'm pretty sure it was the longest kick I ever made at Wembley as well. Um, cool. And just being a soccer guy, being able to do all that in one kick at one of the most iconic soccer stadiums in the world, uh, that's something I'll never forget. So you've been here 13 months and you've already uh, broke the record for most consecutive. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And we've had some good kickers. Mike yeah. Collis, uh, Josh, of course. Right. Uh, I want to ask you about this. So Mike Collis, I heard him say one time that regardless of um, the distance of the kick, mm -hmm. whether it's a PAT or, or plus 50 yarder, his stroke is always the same. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that true for all kickers? Is, would that be true for you, or do you approach kicks different depending on the situation and how far they, they uh, are? I subscribe to that theory. Really? Um, because if you, for me personally anyways, if you have too many different clubs in your bag, I think sometimes you're in between, mm -hmm. um, and then you're not exactly sure how to hit it. You know, do you hit, do you muscle up on a nine iron, or, or do you, you know, shorten right. up your grip on your eight iron? And I just, I don't, subscribe to that. I try and do the same exact thing every single time because it doesn't, you know, a 33-yard PAT, if I try to hit it like a 55, it, it's going to go through from 33 and I'm, I'm essentially practicing a deeper ball. Right. Um, so I always try to hit about a 90-95% 90, swing every time no matter where it is um, and if I ever need to really muscle up then I probably shouldn't be out there kicking that particular field goal anyways. But guys like Scobie who I've talked with about it, he had a bunch of different clubs in his bag. He's a golf guy anyway. So. Right, of course. Um, but yeah, he, he had told me that he approached different kicks different ways, okay. um, which worked for him because obviously he's a great kicker. And um, one of the big things that Taylor Melhoff, a guy that taught me how to kick, said is there's no one correct way to kick. Find what works for you and just stick mm. with it. All right, a few more questions. Uh, in a game situation, what, what could you make? How far could you kick one? Yeah, I mean, that is entirely depending on are we in a dome? Is it warm? Is it cold? Is the wind blowing side to side? Ideal, north and south? ideal situations, you're in a dome, you're feeling good. How far could you kick one? Um, well, this last weekend at Indy in warm ups, I hit a 62. Okay. Um, so without really trying to muscle up. Okay. So I, I, would, and I think that was about my distance. 
um, for an absolute desperation kick. End of half, end of game. We need a kick. How? Where can you go from? I think I told him. I got you. Get me to uh, get me to the 44, plus 44. I think which would have been 62. So your mental approach. I would put it this way: If there's one position I'd never want to play in the NFL, it would be a kicker. You guys yeah. have ice in your veins. <laughs> so let's say the team's driving. Blake's taking him down. Yeah. This is a game winner. 45-yard kick. When do you start getting ready? Uh, you know, uh, what are you thinking? Is it? Is it? Uh, do you tell yourself, "Hey, this is huge," or is it just business as usual? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for me, uh, always business, business as usual because I think when you start to change things, that's when things go wrong. Um, you know, so for example, if it's a 27-yard kick in the middle of the second quarter. Nobody's coming up to me, hey, Lambert, we need you, man. We need you. You got this. It's like, so why are you going to do it for a 37-yard game winner? Just stay away. Let me stay in my element. I'm the one doing the kicking. Like, we're good here. Um, I get ready every time we're on offense the same way. Um, I usually kick on. A lot of this actually goes back to playing with Johnny at Texas A&M because we could score from anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of kickers don't start even kicking into the net until they're in field goal range. Uh, but we were always in touchdown range with Johnny Manziel and with Phil Rivers too. A lot we had a lot of deep touchdowns, and right. so as soon as our offense gets the ball, I'm hitting into the net because I never know when a touchdown is going to come or a potential field goal try. Um, but yeah, end of game, it, I, my philosophy is one for one on every kick. Uh, it doesn't matter what the scoreboard says, how much time's left, how, if we're winning, if we're losing, if we're tied. How you know, uh, I adjust my kick on how far it is, but in terms of where I aim, but. Um, yeah, it's just another kick because that's I think when you build up that pressure, you put it on yourself, and that just that's not that's not helpful. I was in New Orleans and I held for two kickers. One was John Carney, okay, and then Garrett Hartley. Okay, yeah. Two ends of the spectrum as far as types of kickers. Right. So John was, uh, he had a little piece of tape mm -hmm. that he put on his shoe and he put it on the spot. Okay. And so if you didn't have the laces perfect, yeah, and if it wasn't tilted perfect, and if it obviously it wasn't that spot, yeah, and he missed. Well, he was, he was oh, upset. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, he was a real high maintenance kicker. Like right. it had to be perfect and it stressed me out big time. Oh, I bet. Garrett Hartley was just the opposite. I'm like, I would ask Garrett, Garrett, how, how do you want, listen, I don't care. Just get it down. I don't, I don't really care. What kind of kicker are you? Uh, does I, it have to be the I, perfect hold? I certainly have my preference on what sure. my ideal ball looks like, but I'm realistic enough to where I know it's not going to be perfect every time because two guys need to do their job before I can do mine, long snapper and holder. Um, you know, that's a lot of movement in between when I get there. And, and I know my guys aren't ever going to purposefully m mess up. Right. I know they're not going to try to get me to miss a kick. And, you know, because you know what, I'm going to miss kicks that was maybe, maybe on a bad hold or a bad snap, mm -hmm. but I'm also going to miss kicks that were perfect. So who am I to blame those guys right. when they could just as easily be like, hey, man, it was a perfect snap and perfect hold. What the heck are you doing? Because I never want guys to treat me like that. And I know that they're busting their tail ends off, so I'm not going to get on anybody about that. Few quick hitters. Uh, you've been all over the country, mm -hmm. um, Southern California, Texas, uh, Wisconsin, um, all over the place. Yeah. Illinois. What do you like about Jacksonville? Uh, honestly, the people. Yeah. I think it's a really, really good group of people. My wife and I went. Uh, well, we were still just dating when I moved here last year, but um, we were like, Jacksonville, sweet. I'm employed, but 
Jacksonville. <laughs> I know the feeling. I remember. I remember having those same thoughts. And uh, we're like, all right, let's where get, is Jacksonville yeah, first? Let's get a, let's get a sh as short term of a lease as we possibly can. Hightail it back to San Diego. We won't show this part. Yeah. But no. you did compliment the people. No, I mean that's fine. I mean that was my initial thought without being here. But, I've been here 25 years, man. I get it. But once uh, you know, once we got here, we're like, dang, we don't have a reason to leave. Right. We, we we got here and we loved it and we quickly became friends with people outside of football and. Um, which I think is really important, as well as having friends on the team. Um, Megan has gotten along really well with some of the some of the wives, and uh, again, friends outside of out of the team and outside of the organization. And, um, you know, so I, I was obviously bummed after the game. You know, I, my PAT streak was over. Um, really, every goal I had for myself was kind of ruined mm -hmm. on Sunday, um, and so I'd come home and I'm just kind of sad and. Uh, a little down in the dumps, and my wife was over at a friend's house. She said, oh, come on over. Like, we got a good group of people over here. You know, you'll forget about everything. And sure enough, I went over there and didn't think about football once. Yeah. And so it, it, we're really blessed to be surrounded by really, really good people here. And that's, um, you know, when Scobie came out, even before he was retired, and said, whenever I'm done, my family's going to live here. I completely understand why he said that. That's cool. Um, when you're not here in the building, you know, kicking, what's... What do you like to do? Do you have a hobby? What do you? Um, my dogs keep me pretty busy. Okay. Uh, I inherited my wife's dog. He's, he's going to be ten uh, next week. Uh, he's a 115-pound American Bulldog. Right. And then uh, Megan and I rescued uh, a little pup. She's a American Staffordshire Terrier. She's about 45 pounds right now. But so those two keep me pretty occupied. But I like to golf. Uh, I like to surf. Cool. Um, it's a then, good place for both of those. Yeah. And uh, Megan and I are very. Uh, food centered so All we right. revolve dates and favorite restaurant around. then Jacksonville oh gosh um, like? we've been going to Hawkers a lot lately yeah, good spot um, but flying iguana we go to quite frequently um, Taco Lou I'm sure my nutritionist is loving this but <laughs> uh, I don't know we haven't found a bad one um, um, Aqua Grill down at Vidra. we're all about them what's Josh Lambeau's favorite sports moment so far um, gosh, I mean, I'd like to say Wembley. Mm -hmm. That'll work. But honestly, it was probably still my U-17 World Championships. We're playing Belgium and South Korea. I didn't play the first two group stage games. Um, they started me for the third. We're playing against Belgium, who has two guys, like one player now, Eden Hazard, who's one of the best players in the world. Another guy who plays in the Premier League. Um, and my coach kind of stops me before we go out in the field before warm-ups. And he says, hey, no pressure, kid, but we need a shutout. And I said, all right. Here we go. And then uh, we had to win at least 2 nothing to advance. And we won 2 nothing. It was the first shutout for the national team in U17 World Championships in like over a decade. Um, and there's just something about representing your country yeah. that you just you can't make up. Having the, you know, the U.S. crest over your heart. Um, competing against the best in the world and being able to come out on top. I was man of the match that game. That was um, pretty cool. Yeah, be able to be able to put my country through to the next round. Even, you know, it was U-17s, but it was everything to us at the time. Uh, that that was probably one of the, that was probably the best sporting moment I've ever, ever well, been involved in. You've represented your country real well. You've represented Jacksonville real well. Thank you. And you're playing great football. Yeah, thank you. Glad you enjoy Jacksonville. Yeah, we love it here. I appreciate your time. Yeah, man. thank you. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. It's awesome. Wish you the best rest of the year, man. Thanks very much. All right, buddy. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Before history is written, Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, oh! 
it's played, before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time, before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Well, we referenced it in uh, our conversation with Mark a little bit earlier about what the Jaguars are missing from a leadership standpoint, not having Mercedes Lewis and especially Paul Pazlesny in the locker room. And that was a question that was asked of Marquise Lee on Monday night on the Mark Brunel Show. One of our uh, viewers asked the question, and here's how Marquise responded to how much the Jaguars miss Puzz in the locker room. We need that leadership. There you go. I'm going to just keep it honest with you. Like, Calais is there, um, and a lot of people respect him. Um, but why not have multiple? You know, one thing I tell you about, like, I met Puzz when he came, when I got on the team, and the utmost leader, like, the best dude I ever met in my life. You know what I'm saying? As far as just keeping me on the path, as far as on and off the field, as far as staying focused, um, then showing you what, what the coaches expect out of you, you know, as far as being a prime example, as far as doing it on the field, but not only on the field, off the field too, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, Puzz is one of those guys, uh, when he played, obviously he was a very good player, but he made everyone around him better players, yes. and, and that's rare. And every team has to have a core group of guys, seven or eight guys, typically veteran guys that have been around for a while, um, because if it's left to just two or three, Honestly, it's not enough. Guys that understand the system, guys that understand what it takes to win, that are a little bit longer in the tooth. And, uh, but to lose Mercedes and Puzz, that was, that was tough. Now, in the age of salary cap and all that stuff, it's tough to keep these guys together, uh, but it would be nice to have those guys back. Everybody knew the impact that Puzz was having on that defense, but I, I even think maybe it was underappreciated uh, looking back at it, that you know, he, made such a, he made a big difference. But maybe he made a bigger difference than anybody really knew. And that's the best part. You see when he's gone. You know what I'm saying? Like, for me, I'm honestly tell you, I'm on the team. So I knew as every play he, how big he was to us. You know, I felt like he's supposed to be out there a little bit more than what we had him. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, like, now that we don't have him, we see where we got the, the missing gap at. Really interesting to hear Marquise talk about the impact that Paul Pazlesny had on this team. And, uh, again, I, I do think we knew it was happening. We knew it was a big influence. I don't think anybody thought it would be as missed as it has been because the Jaguars certainly do miss having his presence out there. Sunday, the Jaguars will face the Steelers in a game that was going to be a Sunday night game, now flexed to a 1 o'clock game. Steelers are heavy favorites. Five-game winning streak for the Steelers, five-game losing streak for the Jaguars. And this is make or break time. The Jaguars lose. I don't see any path to the playoffs. Uh, they need to win just to get right in terms of the team, but also really to save their season. Remember, after the Steelers game, only two more home games the rest of the year for the Jaguars. Thanks so much for listening to Teal the Podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. And you can always find Teal the Podcast on newsforjacks.com. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next time after the Jaguars and Steelers.